Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Today on The News, our weekly cultural roundtable. Well, first of all, we're in New Haven. That always feels a little different. We're using our Gateway Studios, which means we have New Haven panelists. And we've watched a show on Netflix. It's an episode of the Black Mirror anthology series. But it's a little unusual. It's called Bandersnatch. And it's possible to navigate several different endings. So this is something new, and we will talk about the newness of that. Also, somehow or other, our panelists, as they were emailing around, got into a protracted conversation about whether Imagine Dragons is the worst band in the world. So apparently we'll be discussing that. Imagine Dragons fans, you should probably turn down the volume during that part. After the news. So that may or may not be the worst band in the world. Um, we'll be discussing that later today on The Nose. I'm not even going to tell you what that band is because because I'm just not. So you'll have to wait. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about other things also today on The Nose. We've uh, all watched this movie Bandersnatch on Netflix in which you are um, constantly being asked to slightly change or choose between two plot options. Uh, and uh, of therefore affect the outcome of it. It's going to be a hard thing to explain to you, I think, if you haven't done it yet or watched it yet or whatever it is that you do. And we're going to begin our conversation with the fact that the Oscars, although this is, I think, still, as they say, a developing story, but it appears that the, it appears right now, according to reporting by The Guardian, is that there might not be any host at all for the Oscars this year, um, that they might do it by committee somehow. Uh, and uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about sort of what that might even imply. But first of all, I have to tell you who I'm going to talk with. Tom Breen is a film critic and reporter for the New Haven Independent and host of WNHH Radio's Deep Focus. Oh, no, I'm not going to have to do Mercy's thing now. I'm going to have to do it right. <laughs> I, knew he, <laughs> I knew he was dreading it. I'm white. I don't do this well. Uh, Mercy Quay is founder and executive director of the Narrative Project and the host of WNHH work Radio's it Work out. It Out. Uh, see, I just don't, it just doesn't work when I do it. do this for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Brian Slattery, thank God, doesn't have some peppy show title that I have to mention, at least not here on the outline. Uh, arts editor of the New Haven Independent and producer at WNHH Radio. Uh, and for that matter, I mean, you, st- you have a band with a catchy name, which I can never remember. I have a band with a very long name. Long name, Do you want me yeah. to tell you what it is? Yeah, what is it? Yeah. It's Dr. Catterwell's Cadre of Clairvoyant Claptraps. Yeah. Really rolls off the tongue. I mean, I've, I've seen... 
the band. <laughs> I think it's and that's enough. Way better than Imagine Dragons. <laughs> uh, and Brian does host a show called Northern oh, Remedy. So right. Northern Remedy. Northern Remedy is the all name right. of Brian's show. Um, so uh, yeah, so all of, all of that is to come. But let's just talk about this idea of the Oscar. So our story so far was that Kevin Hart was supposed to uh, host the Oscars. Then it came up that in the past he had done some jokes that were homophobic, comma etc. Uh, he uh, did not apologize to everybody's satisfaction um, and he is not hosting the Oscars and he sort of has was even he was kind of given a bandersnatch moment where I think he could apologize like <laughs> even more yeah uh, and or he could just say no to the Oscars and he clicked on say no to the Oscars so so mercy I guess we have to we have to pull that apart we have to take the Kevin Hart part of it first uh, and then the whole idea of maybe not having a host at all so what's your take on... Yeah, so I also listened to him on Terry Gross yesterday, mm-hmm. and I just don't think he was getting it. You know, there was mm. a point where Terry um, and him were kind of going back and forth, and Terry was just like, but you understand how some of these jokes aren't funny. He goes, well, I guess, you know, it depends on the speaker. And she goes, no, sometimes these jokes are just not funny. And they were going back and forth. And so I think, he, I mean, even in the, in the, in the um, show yesterday, he was saying to her that he apologize profusely to the LBGTQ community, but I don't recall that happening. Uh, and what's more is Terry kind of called him out on that. And he was just like, well, was it to their satisfaction? He goes, I did everything I could to their satisfaction. And then once he says, once I, once I did it enough, I stopped doing it. And it was just like, where'd you do it? Right? Because <laughs> like, I didn't see it. Who saw it? You can it? sort of reasonably ask at this point, then why are people still and angry at you? Exactly. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think just from my personal perspective, I, I don't know who and how to hate, <laughs> right, anymore. I just, I don't. <laughs> like, like I, there are so many artists that it's like, okay, well, geez. Coming back, I think it was this exact uh, nose group that had the conversation about is the artist better than yeah, their art is right, bad, right? Right, right, right. And I, 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 there was a point at which that formula was really a go-to for me. I think I have, at this point... It's hard, though. Yeah. Yeah. Exceed the propriety of that a slattery formula? You have to sort of look at the artist's worth, artistic worth, yeah. and then at the bad stuff that they did and put them each on one side of a Libra-type scale, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, your I, theory. Don't say I guess. Formula, right? <laughs> I'm not saying it's great. I'm, I'm saying I haven't worked out the details. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, Tom, I, I, I mean, perhaps I'm alone in all this. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm alone in all this because I get emails all the time saying, you said, blah, 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 blah. you know, I look forward to your apology. And I was right back and I say, well, I'm not going to apologize because so. <laughs> I'm not sorry I said that. <laughs> um, I look forward and to I realize, And I, I don't say things like what those Kevin Hart jokes were and stuff like that. But this, it seems like this is like this thing these days, you know, like, well, we look forward to your apology. Where's your apology? How come you didn't apologize? No, you got to apologize. I, I, I don't know. Comedians, don't they exist to kind of offend people a little bit? Well, I love the way that Mercy framed it by not being at a moment where we don't know who to hate. Because <laughs> I think that quite eloquently gets at 
uh, we have to evaluate each individual case of a, I don't even know how to describe it, a cultural linguistic transgression or something on its own individual merits. I don't think you can follow the same script for every single one of these people yeah. who, right. you know, and there have been yeah. a number of people who have have been held to the fire because of specifically what they've said on Twitter about a decade ago. I think that maybe what this, this dilemma really sits at the mill for me is this intersection of our culture's kind of co- incapacity to accept that people change mm-hmm. uh, yes. and then on the on the other side yes. our culture's complete uh, kind of flippant disregard and cruelty towards people who don't belong to the majority identity. She's uh, like and, meerkatting you while you're <laughs> talking. And, <laughs> and I, I think that for, to, for Kevin Hart's you know, specific individual scenario, I think it's really important to remember that detail that you brought up at the start of this conversation, that he was given an opportunity, well, pressured to apologize, apologize again for something he said he already apologized for, and he chose not to, even though he later apologized after he pulled out of the Oscars. But I think that if he recognized that he should not have said what he said in, on Twitter 10 years ago once, um, right. his, 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 the pride that stood between him doing it again, I think is, is something that does not make me feel like he has been unjustly harmed. If you already know you did wrong, you should be able to you know, be a man enough to say, it's, I did wrong twice. Well, I mean, don't you think even say it should be easier and easier to apologize to some extent. Right. You're like, right, I, I know I was wrong. Yeah. And now I've known for at least a couple of weeks. I'm more comfortable with the idea. Right. And <laughs> well, I, I think there needs to be that. You know? There needs to be an out that we agree on. If we are able to de- develop a catalog of people that we're hating, right, then I think there needs to be right a, a little bit of an index, right? Like or a ban- a bander snatch option at the end, right? Like, yeah. Well, also, right. Mercy, I think this is one of the reasons they're considering <laughs> not having the Oscars, uh, not having the host for the Oscars, which is that it's not, not just, having the Oscars. No, That's not nice. having a, not having any particular host for the Oscars because the host has to set a tone, and it's not just that we don't know who to hate. We also don't know which offenses rise to which level, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so the host has to set a tone. So when Ricky Gervais hosts the Golden Globes. He basically comes out there and says, sometimes literally, this is the level I'm going to talk at right now. I'm going to make terrible jokes about you. I'm going to make fun of your pill addictions. I'm going to make sex jokes that make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to do. This is the tone that I'm going to set. And so maybe Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, maybe they do like a slightly higher tone than Ricky Gervais. but. There's no agreed upon tone. In other right. words, for the Oscars this year, what should you come out and do? Should you be like doing a whole lot of Times Up Me Too stuff, like really serious stuff, like Sandra Oh was doing at the Golden mm-hmm. Globes, or should you be, you know, zinging Mel Gibson the way people used to? Or you know, I don't think people even agree on that. Oh, I I, I like Mel Gibson. I I just you know I'm f- I'm filled with unpopular opinions, <laughs> but I <laughs> but I think I think you're right that it's it's. Because it's so hard to understand what offense is the offense, um, we might very well see an Oscars where there's a, you know a plethora of hosts who range in you know severity of offenses over <laughs> over the last twenty years. Like, have R. Kelly come out and give the last award of the night? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> or Robert Downey Jr. who may has certainly done a lot. Of Kevin Spacey's coming out. <laughs> But I, I think that is true. There's, there is a breakdown in our common agreement, right? There, yes. there used to be a time where we all thought, yeah, Billy Crystal, he kind of gets it right. That's about we want, we want somebody to make fun of these people, but not to really shock us. That's about where we want to be. But here's where I start to feel a little pity for the Oscars, because the Oscars is like your great-grandmother like sitting in the corner of the room where like where like culture just like races ahead of her, and she's just like, how about that Frank Sinatra? Wasn't he great? 
And I, I, I feel like like part of it is that that, that institution is so slow moving that mm-hmm. it's, it's it's like there's, it's never going to be it's never going to catch the moment where it is like any decision that they make is is just <laughs> well, I mean, how many uh, I, you know. I think to that point, how many years are we removed from uh, uh, what was it, the Oscar so white? How many years are we removed from that? So I think that three, Sam, only uh, three. Sam, Sam Hattleman mm. was here in the studio with us is saying three. Oh, three years. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, yeah. we might we might find ourselves in, in, you know, maybe a year or maybe, you know, another three where the entire outfit of the Oscars needs to change. Yeah. You know, I just going going back to Kevin Hart's kind of specific situation again, I, I think that at least that interests me a bit more than whether or not he's hosting the Oscars. That question of how much should we sustain our level of criticism of him today, yep. mm-hmm. kind of eight years or nine years after the alleged offenses of like hundred And this, these are, I don't know, dozens of tweets that use the word gay and other slurs against LGBTQ people uh, in a, a very kind of aggressive manner. And I do, th- I, you know, my, my gut says, wait a minute, comedians should be able to say whatever they want. That's what we revere in, uh, in the Lenny Bruce's and the Richard mm-hmm, Pirates mm-hmm. of the world. But I, it, I don't think I can ever stand against people feeling outrage on behalf of an oppressed minority. Right. Like if people were legitimately hurt by the language that Kevin Hart used, I want them to come out en masse and say this is really detrimental to our culture and I'm not going to back away just because, you know, you want to pursue your career of, you know, incredible celebrity uh, <laughs> success. Yeah, I do have to also <laughs> add here what was kind of funny. So I follow Gary Owen on um, on Instagram. Gary Owen is a, a self-proclaimed white comedian and he says he's a white comedian because he usually does stand up on black channels, BET, for instance. So mm. it it matters. Um, when when this entire story uh, broke, he you know used his uh, Instagram and kind of went live and said, "Ellen, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, a pillar of the gay community. Stand up for Kevin Hart." And I was just like, maybe that's not the way to do this. <laughs> Maybe don't choose the like one of the six gay people you might know and ask them to stand up on behalf of someone. And she eventually did, but I just thought that that it was just such a weird positionality for right, like this white comedian to kind of leverage this other. I mean, it, it was the whole thing is weird, and I think that uh, Kevin Hart at this point, you know, he's he's had some time to stew on it, and I think an appropriate apology or um, some sort of. Uh, indication that he understands the issue would suffice. All right. We need to segue here. uh, And we need to segue uh, to a band that has been accused in a major music publication of being the worst band ever, or at least the worst band in the world. Uh, So why don't we play a little (laughs) bit more of them? And while that's happening, I'm going to have Mercy adjust her microphone and we're going to get, I think we need to deploy Sam Hattleman. We need need to release the Kraken here. We have somebody who actually hosts... Uh, a music show. All right. So uh, here's. So is this this? No, is this the one with Lil Wayne? I'm trying to catch up. So this is the thing where they're actually playing at the fo- football halftime show, except they're not at the football game, right? They're they're the halftime performance, but they're somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. So let's hear a little bit of that. That'll be so much fun for you at home, and we're gonna get the microphones right. Believer, believer. 
what's about to happen is we see the dragon, I link with the dragons, and we gon' get rational. No need for imagining this is what's happening. Second thing, second, I reckon the backless signs of my accurate. I know the street, don't come with our strategy, I know the sweet, don't come with our cavities, I know the passengers come with some traffic. Start from the basement, end up in the attic. Third thing, third, whoever come me out, they simply can't count. Let's get mathematic, I'm up in this hill. Is you a believer? I get a unicorn out of a zebra. I wear my uniform like a tuxedo. This dragon don't hold his breath, don't need a breather. Love you, Miss Ethan, the son of a leader. I know the blooming don't come without rain. I know the losing don't come without shame. I know the beauty don't come without, hold up, hold up, hold up. Last thing last. I know the Tucci don't come without Wayne. I know the losing don't come All right, that's mostly Lil Wayne right there, rapping along with the a great song, Believer, by Imagine Dragons. So Imagine Dragons have been kind of called out in the press a few times this week. Uh, also, uh, Chris Richards writing in the Washington Post says, excuse me, has humanity, I got a little choked up there. Uh, has humanity ever listened to so much music against its volition? Imagine Dragons in the Gym, Imagine Dragons in the Mall, Imagine Dragons in three out of five movie trailers before the feature presentation, which also features a song by Imagine Dragons. There's too much Imagine Dragons is his point, and they're not very good. And so they're accused of being, well, basically, Brian Slattery, they're accused of being the new Nickelback, right? Yeah. Yeah, the new Nickelback, the new Eagles, the new whatever. Um, the... Here's a good time here's a good time to deploy my like rock critic poking idea that this is basically a classic example of Freud's narcissism of small differences in that it's for a lot of people who like rock music Imagine Dragons is too close to stuff that they actually like to be comfortable to them so they're sort of enraged interesting by that and then also it's that Imagine Dragons is really successful like they're really good at making money and I suspect part of that is you know people say, why aren't I making lots of money or why isn't my yeah. favorite act making lots of money? And I, I can't quite divorce it from that because I listen to their music as like not somebody who's particularly invested in rock music. I listen to it and think like, these guys are fine. It's fine. It's you know it's <laughs> well it's like a paper fine. cup you know it's like it's fine right it's fine the small differences theory is a good one I mean a two seed in the spirit Presbyterian will have a much worse fight with a three seed in the spirit Presbyterian yeah. than he or right. she will with a Muslim yeah uh, because right. there's nothing to argue about totally. and you know backstage there'll be a beef between Lil Kim's crew and Fifty Cent's crew yeah. but probably not between Lil Kim's right. crew and the Eagles crew because <laughs> right. they don't have anything to argue about either but it, when it gets close then mm-hmm. then those differences become important. I don't know. Who else has a cultural theory about this? I, I, I agree with this theory, but I think that it is more detrimental to the culture at large than perhaps well, uh, you are giving credence to, in that I think that there is what, potential. What, hating? My theory is destroying the culture. I think mere tolerance of mediocre and ubiquitous uh, <laughs> kind of vacuous teenage rock is like mm-hmm. not something that we should promote in mm-hmm. in, in constant exposure to oh, on so, the radio. And so tolerating Imagine Dragons is harmful to culture. I think I think that, what are well, they going to play them all? <laughs> He's usually so, so nice. <laughs> this is going to get rough for you. <laughs> and well, actually, I I don't. So I do find. Mean. I just need that to be yeah. clear. I I did love uh, how both critics in the Washington Post and in Spin called out Imagine Dragons as basically artistry by dynamics. It's like you can tell that they are trying to do something different when they play between louder and a lot louder. It's not singing. It's kind of shouting. Those guys love the Pixies, and that's exactly what the <laughs> but well, then, so I think this gets at also a, a key difference between. Hey, I'm I'm all about that. Uh, that also that that uh, 
time in rock and roll history in in the late 70s and 80s after punk when you didn't have to be talented in order to pick up a guitar and drums. I love that stuff. And part of it, I think, is, is the message behind it and kind of the feeling behind it. And it's, you know, counter, anti-authoritarian. Uh, it's counterculture. It is, like, aggressively egalitarian. I feel like this stuff is the most heteronormative <laughs> blah that one could possibly have. I mean, some, you know, bulked-up guy from Vegas who... I. I guess he's went to BYU and that's kind of where the band's formed. He's just constantly singing about being misunderstood as like a handsome, attractive, successful white man who wrote poems and was made fun of a little bit as a teenager. It's just, oh, it's so it's frustrating. Such a hard you could have gone to school on them. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <it produced. laughs> right. All right, Mercy, give us your theory and then we'll go to Okay, Sam. again, unpopular opinion. I really like this band. <laughs> Although I will start yes. by saying that I spent probably a year calling them chasing dragons, <laughs> which is probably what you have to See, do. See, I'm to not enjoy here to them. judge you. You can like them. I think it's fine. Whereas all I'm doing is judging you. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, but I do. But I do think that I do think that you're right, uh, Tom. It. it I mean, I said in the emails, it, this is mall music, and you know, even though the band is, you know fairly new I, newer than when I was going to the mall when I was in my teens right it reminds anytime it comes on it reminds me of like bouncing in between Forever 21 and Hot Topic right the quintessential <laughs> like mall stores right and then getting real angsty as I pop between and deciding mm-hmm. what I'm gonna wear am I gonna be am I, am I gonna be like a I don't know a Taylor Swift right like a Forever 21 am I getting that today or I'm gonna be hard and edgy right like Katy Perry <laughs> and I'm going to go to the Hot Topic. That's what this song reminds me of, um, this band altogether. But also, I have to say, uh, another unpopular opinion, I really liked Creed back in the day. And there you go. Since, since the main character, um, main character, since the lead singer of uh, this band is like hev- heavily religious, um, he's Mormon, it sort of reminds me a bit. There's that parallel with well, Creed. Well, there's a Creed parallel with Creed for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I mean, the other thing I think, I, so uh, I started not calling them Chasing Dragons after I watched the HBO documentary about these guys uh, mm. starting the Love Loud uh, uh, Festival, which was to get the Mormon church to change their opinions ab- about uh, the LBGTQ community. Uh, and then I was like, yeah, this is actually kind of cool. This These people are kind of cool. Uh, yeah, Tom. Well, <laughs> I mean, clearly I am in support of that festival. That sounds like a wonderful thing. But nevertheless, as people who are, like, listening to the music and trying to, like, dissect how we respond to the, you know, this crazy combination of, like, lyrics and performance and sounds from all these different issues, I just feel like this stuff is encouraging an angst and sympathy with something that's just so conventional and boring and through that is music, kind of yeah, right. everybody we, we actually music. have in the studio I'm not sure whether this microphone works yet or not but we'll find out we actually have somebody who hosts radio music shows uh, and cares about music and is a passionate yeah. mu- uh, young person who cares about music Sam Hadleman is also with us everybody here is from WNHH at this point right everybody yep. here at least has one gig there yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. so Sam what's your, give us your take um, I'm like somewhere in between Tom Make and sure you're your mic, though. Um so I'd also like to reject Imagine Dragons is not for teenagers. I am recently out of my teenagehood, and I don't know one other teenager that's like, yo, slap on that Imagine Dragons. That doesn't happen. <laughs> First of all, I don't that's think anyone's saying life. slap on that Imagine, Imagine Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> no, Imagine Dragons. Like, and I understand why they need to be there. You know, rock music isn't selling. You need a big band to sell out arenas that has to be heteronormative and completely normal and not take any risks because that's what sells. 
That's where rock is at the moment. Yeah. Like uh, some four-piece punk pop punk band out of England that dyes their hair different colors isn't going to sell the amount of records that Imagine Dragons is going to sell. But the thing is, rock doesn't need to sell big in order to survive as like a vibrant musical genre. Maybe it won't be at the top of the charts going forward, but hey, there will still be fascinating rock bands in perpetuity. Fewer people listen to them, but hey, if they are promoting like interesting music, I'm I don't want it to cool be a niche that. art though. I don't want it to be. I want rock to be popular again, but like. I just don't think I think that Imagine Dragons has to be there. Like there has, and also the fact that we brought up Nickelback and the Eagles. The Eagles has the best-selling album of all time. Nickelback has sold right. over fifty million records. Right, and you, if they were that bad, we wouldn't have ever heard of yeah, them. So, right, yeah, right. so I, I was saying yeah, this exactly. to, to Brian. I mean, this when kind people of, say this is the worst band in the world, yeah. I was like, the worst band in the world is like probably like, <laughs> I mean, you know what these guys are? Yeah. It's like three guys in their garage who who just bought their <laughs> instruments, right. and, and one of them is a clarinet. <laughs> um, so yes. but I just want to go back to this for a second because I think it kind of fits in with the Oscar thing too What's the, I think the other thing that's happened is that our musical tastes have become incredibly diversified you know uh, uh, of the five of us sitting in this room right now you know we don't have very similar playlists probably I don't even want to know what Son Slattery's playlist no, is all no, kind of no, no, no. weird really Balkan stuff <laughs> right. and, God. <laughs> I come in here I'm all like everything's fine yeah. <laughs> I, I named a theory after you so, um, so but no I think we have a very very diverse musical taste we don't like all like the same stuff but in order to have sort of almost talking points or, or or benchmarks in a conversation it's helpful to have like the worst band the band that kind of annoys us the most and so Nickelback did that for a number of years Nickelback isn't the worst band in the world it's just kind of a placeholder for that idea of yeah. kind of a corporatized band that sounds okay that lots of people like that's playing at the mall until something else is playing at the mall I love Nickelback Oh, I, love I love Nickelback. You really do, Sam? As a kid. Well, because oh. when I came out, I wasn't like in the culture. Like I was six years old. <laughs> so when I'm six years old and I'm hearing about big jets and, and I didn't even know a bathtub could go in a jet until I heard Nickelback. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. I had a limited access to the internet. I only had VH1. So I grew up listening to like the All American Rejects, oh, the no. Fray, Nickelback. Like it wasn't until Wait, like. This I, is, wow. I'm just, no, you've no. changed so much of my perspective on no, you. I, lo I love everything. Like you, you really got to like. See, this is why Sam like, and I get along. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not judgmental at all. This is, this is also. This is also right. Like, a, a music critic shouldn't be saying, "Yeah, I love everything." Gotta no, that's, be honest. A, that's, a wor that's <laughs> the worst part. That's the worst part. Is that? Gotta you, be honest. This you, song's great. You really gotta poke me to be like, "Wow." This See, is I was. So I was a music critic. I was a bad music critic because I hated everything. Like, I really. I hated almost everything. I, I love everything. I was sitting. I. I. My spirit broke. I, you know what the worst band in the world is, as far as I'm concerned? Journey. I was sitting there in a Journey Playing concert, and I end. said, I cannot do this another minute. I absolutely cannot <laughs> pretend think, that this, yeah. I think what I have to add to that is, I, you know, and I didn't think about this until you just said that, part of what uh, makes me like or dislike a band or a song is who, how I feel about the people who like or dislike that song, right? If it's like, if so Journey, for instance, I can't stand Journey because I hate the people who like Journey. <laughs> like, and it has nothing to do about the song. I catch myself, right, like humming it sometimes. I'm like, no, I don't like this. I'm not going to like it. Let me it. just spell Mercy's Gmail address out for you <laughs> listening. I, I don't want that mail coming to me. We're actually going to have to stop there. We're going to play a little bit more Imagine Dragons for you, but we got to switch over to Bandersnatch, which is not a band, by the way, after this. Cast a limit, I gotta finish at the first rapper on Mars. Mark my word, I'ma make my mark. Even when they start their martial law, even when these Martians alienate my mental state, is still at heart. Oh, look in my eyes, tell me I died, tell me I tried to cover my eyes, tell me you love me, tell me that I don't give up a skank, I barely decide. Wish it could let go, my enemies, all of my energy, go to the almighty God, I get drowned in the bottom of Hennessy. Cause you amenities, I'm getting better with time. Ah! I'm waking up. 
And uh, we're still uh, here. I should should say we're in New Haven at the Gateway Studios uh, of WNPR uh, with Tom Breen, Mercy Quay, Brian Slattery. Sam Hadleman is uh, here and can be deployed as necessary, but I don't think he's watched <laughs> Vandersnatch yet. So we're going to talk now about something that's on Netflix right now. I don't think we'll wreck it for Sam or anybody else who's uh, out there listening. It would be just explaining it will be so incredibly complicated. <laughs> it seems unlikely that we could uh, we could spoil it. So we have a science fiction uh, novelist here in our midst. So I'm going to turn it. Do you, do you want me to try to explain it, or do you think you could set it up? I could set it up. Okay, set it up. It's basically like a video version of a choose your own adventure book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the easiest way to put it. At some point, uh, you're watching the thing. And then the, the the show does a good job of training you of this, actually. So if this concept is unclear, the, the show is good at teaching you how to do it, um, which is super cool. But um, basically what happens is you're watching a thing, and then at, 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 at any given point, you're, you're given a choice that you have about 10 seconds to reply to, um, which they eventually use for dramatic effect. You have to say, what do you think that the character should do? And the character is a programmer who's trying to make a video game based on a choose-your-own-adventure book. So it gets very meta, which is also pretty important to this whole thing. Um, and then, I, long story short, um, the, as the person is trying to finish this project, the programmer is, is, is going insane. And it's unclear what things are real and what things aren't. And it gets very, it gets very fourth wally. You know, they're they're right. So um, let me which just say is that really cool. The, the, it is it's set fun. in the early days of video games, so yes. everything right. looks very eight bit. Uh, right. And uh, so our protagonist uh, is a young man, Stefan. Uh, Stefan is um, is maybe going to have a game produced by uh, one of the big players in the industry, uh, Tucker Soft. Uh, and so uh, let's hear a little clip. That you're going to hear the head of Tucker Soft uh, and some other people around the office talking to Stefan about this game that he is developing. The game conveniently is called Bandersnatch. So it's like 3D monster mates. Only when you're moving from choice to choice. It's actually an adventure game. Like The Hobbit? Yeah, without any typing. Without any typing? So no get lamp or whatever? That's right. Choices come up on the screen, and, and you pick one against the clock. Okay, he, he's Pax. He's the demon. He, he's in the book. So we've actually arrived at a choice point, and, and you can choose with the joystick. You've got ten seconds. Worship him. No, don't do that. He's the thief of destiny. In the book. I mean... Don't copy this at home. I never got around to reading it. Well, you should. Jerome F. Davies was a genius. Didn't he go bonkers and cut his wife's head off? Well, yeah, but, I mean, apart from that... Excuse me. All right, just apart from that. So, yes, uh, there's all kinds of other meta stuff that's going on, or layered stuff that's going on, uh, including the fact that, that this is all based on a book by whose author also went insane. Um, but is and, the book better than he is insane? Right. Oh, yeah, we have to do the slattery test on that, too? We haven't read the book. We don't know how to do that. So, um, so, so, Tom, you know, when we were emailing around about this, Brian used an interesting verb to describe watching Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch is, we should say, an installment in the Black Mirror anthology series. It's yeah. available on Netflix, which 
becomes incredibly important in a way that it doesn't in most things that are on Netflix. Uh, and But Brian said he played Bandersnatch, and I think that's a really interesting thing, too. Do you watch it or do you play it? Yeah, and I think that comment helped. This is one of those movies where the first time I watched it, I was very engaged with it just because of the tech, like technical novelty of it. But I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it as a movie. But I think that comment really helped me uh, understand why I think this is such a fantastic and innovative and really thought-provoking piece. And this, you know, gets to the like the the history of movies is a long history of experimentation with mm-hmm. like crazy technology mostly to try to sell stuff. Like maybe mo- one of the most infamous examples is Smellovision, this like technology that yeah. released an odor in oh, yeah. theaters to mm-hmm. correspond yep. with certain oral marks. I think it may have only been attached to you know, one or two movies in the early 60s. Uh, but he, this could be interpreted as a kind of gimmick, uh, you know, as a way of bringing the audience in to provide some kind of illusion of control but mostly just to keep them engaged and clicking with their finger on whatever it is that they're holding or with their mouse but the thing is the genius of pairing up charlie booker and black mirror with this technology is that black mirror as a series as like a concept is all about the uh like the unintended consequences of uh just our short-term enjoyment of technology going absolutely out of control. And I think to use this really interesting and very different kind of hybrid form of making cinema in a context of just like complete paranoid bonkers about the impact of mass culture on our on our heads was just so interesting to think about, let alone all the different, you know, variety reported that there are a trillion different permutations of this story. Who knows if that's true, but there certainly are plenty to keep you off of your kind of not not feeling stable as you watch it, which is something I appreciate in Although, Mercy, in a, a, lot of, a lot of it depends on how much you like making decisions, right? Yeah, no. I So um, <laughs> the folks in this room now know that I have decision anxiety. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so this has really been preying on my decision anxiety. And, you know, I got halfway through it, and I was like, I just, I can't, I can't decide if you're going to eat Cocoa Puffs versus whatever, like because let alone I, some of the harder, let alone some of the harder ones. Later. And I was and I was sort of veering yeah. towards the easier, right? Like of the two options, bury him or or uh, uh, chop him up. And I'm just like, oh god, oh god, oh god, I don't know, I don't know. And the time would lapse for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? so what happens when the time lapses? The t- so they, they default. They yeah. default to, a, to an option, to, okay. and and it's always See, the I never long let one. that happen, Mercy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't have decision anxiety. <laughs> got the nerves of a chopper pilot. <laughs> Brian's like, chop him up. <laughs> oh, whatever. See what left happens. Left choice. I'll pick the one on the left. Well, I mean, and so, and I, I think, I think to your earlier point that they, they definitely train you early on that like, okay, you need to be paying attention um, as often as possible. You can't tune out here because the first couple decisions don't actually matter. This exactly, yeah. you're choosing what cereal he eats, what drink. It's just training what, you exactly, to use the thing. or what music he's listening is just training you to use it. Right, and you can go in any direction, which made me immediately wonder because I noticed that from the beginning. It made me immediately wonder technically how did they work that out? How many how many different I mean, I just don't... There are I, a lot of really cool technical questions about yes. it. So I, many well, questions. Can I ask a technical question, too? Okay, so she did it on her phone. What? what how did you watch? I did it on my laptop. On your laptop? Actually, both. Well, first time phone, and then I watched parts of it again on my laptop. Being an old guy, um, <laughs> I watched it on my television, sitting on See, my I, couch. I couldn't Wait, watch I couldn't. it on it my television. It wouldn't because, let me. Yeah, it wouldn't let me either. I, really? Do you have an Apple TV? So Apple TV wouldn't let me because you can't interact I with it. I a Roku box. Yeah, I got a Roku box. It let me do that. So... 
but I, I they're getting a call. For level me. up. I think right. that's important though. Me, like man. on my phone, not that I want to be on my phone a lot, but on my phone, I kind of expect to have to make decisions. You know, I mean, I don't mm. know. You're always having to do stuff on your phone. Yeah. Whereas I'm sitting in my living room watching my TV. I don't really want to have to do all this. At a certain point, I really <laughs> yes. felt imposed welcome, upon. Welcome like, to just, decision anxiety. Just inter- no, it wasn't decision anxiety. It just like entertain me. You entertain me. I don't want to figure this stuff out. So I, actually, I'm happy that you yelled, emphatically yelled entertain me because there was a little bit of a are you not entertained moment in, 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 in the, the piece. The, and right. that I loved. It was just like, well, yes. let's let's back up here. If if someone was controlling all of your decisions, wouldn't there be something more entertaining? Wouldn't this be better? Right? Yeah. And then wouldn't and, this be better? And that I was like, <laughs> oh crap, oh crap, this is about to be really. Now good. there are a number of meta moments. There's also a moment where Netflix uh, puts its yes. own brand, yep. In, yep. which I found maybe the most grating part. <laughs> like I, I, I did click on that. Netflix, but what what I I do think it seems like the clicking while being annoying to some also did encourage a certain type of engagement with a movie that you're just not used to. Yeah, no. um, And I do think that in addition to just like the practical, you have to do this in order to watch it, it got me thinking so much about choice and just like what choice is in this world of technological reality choice is a binary thing. It's a zero or it's a one. It's a clicking on the left side mm-hmm. of the screen or mm-hmm. the right. But in fact, the choices that this character makes that we make him make are radically different uh, between serials is not the same as between who's going to kill themselves, you right. or the person you're standing next right. to. Yeah. And I feel like that is if if this movie has a th- like a thesis through both form and content, it's like th- choices, despite the illusion that choice is just a matter of doing yes or no actual human like interactions and morality and stuff are a lot more complicated than one or zero so don't fall under mm-hmm. the spell of like click now i'm done for the day these are two radically different types of uh things that you're being asked to do and don't forget about the difference well brian also you know they're they're sort of sucking us into the auteur process a little bit too and yeah. i think as you were playing this too you have to sort of on the spot, not knowing too much about this the first time you play it, tr- you try to have to try to make decisions about, well, what sort of story is this? You right. know, is it a story that comes out well? Does it come out badly? Does Stefan get his get five star rating for his game? Is that what I should be trying to collaborate with right. this algorithm on? Right. I mean, I, ha- I had the most fun with Bandersnatch when I was thinking about what decisions will make for the most what I think might be the most interesting story. So it meant sort of like whenever there was a detour, I took it. Whenever there was a sort of like slightly counterintuitive decision, I made that. Mm. Because I was just thinking like, I wonder what this thing, like that it's presenting me with these things suggested, like these will be interesting detours. And usually that was true. There were a couple of cases where they were like, well, that was dumb. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, and that was part of, I think that was part of the, I keep calling it a game and I, I guess I'll well, stick with it. That I'm, was part of the game too. Like it was, it was fun to figure out like how much information I was supposed to know at any given point. Like when I did it again, I was actually sort of punished for like trying to skip ahead. So yeah. I, I just want to, I want to play one which more clip cool. here. There's a moment at which uh, Stefan uh, knows quote unquote, that maybe there's somebody there with a little Roku remote or a phone or something that is causing him to do things. So there's this one of these many meta moments. He happens to be talking to his psychotherapist at the time. Here's how that sounds. I don't know if it's the deadlines, but my head is all over the place. Keep having these vivid dreams, like thinking weird things. What sorts of things? Like I'm, I'm not in control. Of? Anything. Little things, tiny decisions, what I have for breakfast in the morning, what music I listen to, whether I shout at dad or... You feel like you're not making these decisions. 
feel like I'm not guiding them, like someone else is. You're not hearing voices, or...? No voices, but there is something. I, I don't know, an impulse? I'm sure there is. OK, the fact that you're aware of your mental state is actually reassuring. But it sounds like you're starting to dissociate, so we want to nip that in the bud before you start to seriously entertain delusions. I don't think we're there yet, though. University. One thing that Tom said as we were emailing around is that you know, I hope I'm summarizing this correctly, but in a way, because we wind up paying attention to this format and you know, and this this unusual thing that we're doing, they aren't really the most richly developed characters in the world. No, they're very weak. Um, I so uh, one thing that was absolutely not developed enough for me is okay. So he's a 19 year old gamer in therapy for what and why and how there's not enough we're supposed to be you know this is the person that we're supposed to be most familiar with this is the character that we're supposed to be most familiar with in the film and we still don't know very much about him um and i think all the characters were weak uh and it has to be kind of i i think it would be very difficult for us to we would start we would start to internalize everything that we know about a character when we need it to um choose a decision about their next path like oh what would so and so do and the reality is we don't know and so it's the decisions left on us and i think that was a really great way to do it i so the lead character is played by i'm probably going to mispronounce his name but fine whitehead who many people last saw in dunkirk the christopher nolan movie where he played an absolute kind of cipher like he had no personality he was just kind of this cog in this much larger more traumatic war machine that allowed the audience to experience all these incredible sights and sounds Mm -hmm. and choices that everyone around him he's the you know literally kind of faceless person in the crowd experiencing this and while i also i stand by earlier comment and agree with you mercy that um the character development is not one of the uh finer points points. i did i really love the character played by will poulter who is the is colin Pittman, who is the this you know same age maybe a little bit more advanced in his technological prowess character but he's also i mean he is also the gatekeeper to this world of you know someone refers to the doors of perception yeah both through drugs and through technology you you pull away whatever blinders you have and you see the world as it is but in fact he is not the gatekeeper to any kind of truth. He's the gatekeeper to this horrifying conspiracy that is wrapped up in his own kind of paranoia and mental illness that then infects, you know, fine Why did Black Mirror, I feel like, is rarely about an actual government experience, uh, conspiracy to control people. It's all about, you know, horrible, again, side-on effects from short-term decisions. We make our own hells. We have to yeah. stop right there uh, and uh, to have time for uh, recommendations and endorsements on the other side. So let's do that. It's Bandersnatch. You're just not a participant of 20. 20- 19 if you don't do it. We don't care whether you have fun or not. So you better get ready. Ready to go. You can come as you are. Pay as you go. Today's show is produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kion Wolf, or by Paul Manafort and five Ukrainian oligarchs. 
Okay, you picked the second one. That means Amanda Fish is a political prisoner and all of our interns are dead. The part of Bill Curry was played by Patti LaBelle or R. Kelly. You picked R. Kelly. Man, you're making bad choices. There probably won't be a Monday show, but tune in and check anyway. And now, back to Colin. All right, here we are. We're back. We're back in the Gateway Studios at uh, Gateway Community College, WNPR's uh, southern home, uh, the Mar-a-Lago of WNPR, <laughs> some people say. Uh, and so, <laughs> it's, Give them my email. Right. Yes. That's right. That's uh, what saying. So, Brian Slattery, what are you going to recommend? Um, there are two albums that I find myself listening to incessantly. One of them is by No Name. Um, she's a... MC out of Chicago. Her latest album is called Room 25. If you like jazz, if you like D'Angelo, um, mm. she's oh, wow. she's great. Okay. Um, and she also has a flow that's like super interesting. It's it's kind of mesmerizing and great. And she's really smart and really funny. Um, and then along similar lines is an album called Exoskeletons for Children, and it's by an artist called Squaloscope. And it's sort of the same idea where it's this like songwriting that's kind of uh, it's definitely um, influenced by hip hop a lot, but she like, takes it in a whole other kind of direction. She's European, and uh, there's something really compelling about the way she puts her her music together. So yeah, no name in Squaloscope. All right, uh, what do you got, Tom? Okay, I'm also going to make two. Well, first, cross endorse the No Name album. I love that. Uh, two very quick recommendations. So every New Year's, I get to go to my wonderful partner's family's place in Detroit, which is where she grew up. And I, one of my favorite things to do each year is just read a bunch of stuff about Detroit and listen to a bunch of stuff about Detroit because it's like the American city, which can go on for a number of uh, hours about. But two Detroit recommendations. One is called Crime Town. Uh, it's the new season in uh, a series put out by the Gimlet Podcast Network that is like a 20 episode or something investigation into the first one was into Providence, Rhode Island and the administration of Buddy Cianci. This one's focused on the mayoral administrations of Coleman Young and Kwame Kilpatrick. Looks at the intersection of organized crime and politics, but really it's just a fascinating look at Detroit in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Um, A lot to mine there. The second one, uh, maybe a bit of a harder sell, but uh, it's called Detroit Resurrected to Bankruptcy and Back. And it is a fascinating book by a Detroit reporter uh, named Nathan Bromey about Detroit filing for bankruptcy in 2013 and how they got out of bankruptcy a little over a year later. Uh, This, you know, it may sound like daunting subject matter to people who don't rack their heads all the time thinking about, I don't know, pensions and and, uh, and debt obligations, stuff like that. But if Detroit is really the city that is like the harbinger of all other things that every other city is going to go through at some point, it is a really interesting and detailed look at how Detroit wound up radically restructuring the finances of its city government and also affecting every part of municipal services in that city. So Detroit Resurrected, really interesting book. Mercy Quay, what have you got for us? It's right. going to involve outer space somehow. <laughs> it will. It will. Um, uh, so starting with uh, today is Alexander Hamilton's birthday. So... Listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. Just go ahead and do that. Escalating up to Travelers. Um, Season three of Travelers is now on Netflix, and you can binge watch it because there's three seasons. Travelers is a uh, series about a dystopian future in which humans ruin the Earth, right? And it's kind of going to happen. And uh, they have have, uh, time travelers, i.e. travelers, uh, sent back to the 21st century to save the future. That kind of show, it's really interesting. Take it, take the weekend, you're welcome. And then, 
last night I kind I just I went up to what is considered to be the best and most advanced planetarium in the state. It is in Glastonbury, the Glastonbury Planetarium. Um, surprisingly enough, I hadn't been there yet, but it opened in about 2013. They recently did an update this past um, fall, and it is the most advanced planetarium in the state right now. They're showing. Um, a what they're showing is about the lunar eclipse that will happen on the 21st. So if you want to learn about lunar eclipses before you watch the lunar eclipse in real time, visit the Glastonbury Planetarium. I had no idea there was a Glastonbury Planetarium. Yeah. All right. Sam, do you have, do you have anything? Yeah, he's ready. Yeah, yeah I got uh, two albums in the breath of Brian. Uh, Saba, Care For Me. It's uh, kind of a jazz record out of Chicago, out of the Chicago scene that he was talking about No Name. Uh, I'll just say it's kind of about grief. Fantastic record. Blew me away. Say the name again. Saba, Care For Me. All right. Uh, And then the second one I'm going to recommend is Victory Lap by Nipsey Hussle. It just got nominated for a Grammy. If you're into kind of like the Dr. Dre West Coast era, it's really interesting. He's an independent artist. My tagline is that he sold a free mixtape for $1,000 and made $100,000. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Those are from Sam Hattleman, a special uh, guest appearance uh, here today on the news. I'm going to uh, recommend actually kind of a bad podcast, but I think you need to listen to it anyway. So it's called Bagman, and it's uh, produced by MSNBC and hosted by Rachel Maddow. It, it is her project. They do not have any idea how to make podcasts. I mean, they're like really down. And so they sort of try to deploy all of the things that they do on television. So like there's always like trumpets and snare drums and stuff to tell you that something really important is happening. They don't kind of understand some of the more quiet in a uh, of of podcasts uh, and R- Rachel is also telling you uh, things that are that you're really going to like and things that are really going to be important as if you can't figure those things out for yourself. So why am I recommending this? Other than like I want Nick Qua who's on this show so just, just sit and listen to this podcast with me so we can see all figure out all the tropes that it violates. Well, it's interesting to listen to on that basis if you if you like form, you know, and like it sort of shows you how not to do this. But it's also really important because of what it's about. It's about the case that was brought by the Justice Department against Spiro Agnew simultaneously with the Watergate case. So you have a sitting vice president who is like really committed sort of grotesquely obvious criminal acts. Uh, I mean, at a very sort of unbelievably crude, shall we say, state of Maryland type level, and just brought that whole act to the White House, envelopes full of cash and stuff like that. But he has something approaching the full arsenal of the federal government to try to fight this off with, or at least a high-ranking position, vice president, uh, within the federal government. And one of the things that it makes clear to you right away is this, you can do this. You know, if you're wondering whether it's possible to have somebody who has a very prominent office in the White House or the old executive office building who has committed crimes, <laughs> whether it is possible to go after that person. Uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, it takes a certain kind of courageous uh, prosecutor. It takes probably an attorney general of the magnitude and integrity of Elliot Richardson, but it really can be done. And there's some incredibly interesting and funny stuff on the podcast. So even though it's not a very good podcast, I think you should listen to it because it really speaks to a lot of issues that are percolating right this very moment uh, here in American life. Uh, and I think I'll stop there other than to say it's been a lot of fun to be here. This is kind of a rowdy nose. I like the rowdiness of the nose. <laughs> so thanks to special guest star Sam Hattleman, to the wonderful Brian Francis Slattery and Tom Breen and Mercy Quay. And thanks to Jonathan McPants for coming down here and getting this whole thing all set up for us. And we're going to be back unless some Black Mirror Bandersnatch thing happened and we made a bad choice. Otherwise, we'll be back on Monday. <laughs>